And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be a church like that? Let me open for us in prayer, and then we'll explore a little bit of what this passage tells us about the sort of church we could want to be. Let's pray. Father God, please be with us this morning. Would you be glorified? Would our eyes be turned to your Son? Would your Spirit please be living and active in us? Humble our hearts. Open our eyes and ears and minds. Teach us what we need to see. And I pray, would you leave us hugely encouraged this morning as we, we think about the year ahead? Amen. So it is Vision Sunday. Uh, about once a year, we, we take this break from our normal series, working through a book or a topic. And instead we ask, where do we want to be heading? Where do we want to be going as a church? And right now, that, that might feel especially important for us. We're in something of a time of transition and instability. Our staffing for the future is uncertain. Phil and Matt's times with us as assistant pastors are coming towards an end. And it's great, isn't it, that Matt has agreed to stay on for another year to help us through a time of transition. But still, in the space of 18 months, we're going from being very staff-rich to much less so. And that's going to have an effect on the running of the church. And it will raise questions about what we can do and what we prioritise. Our pastor, Dan, much loved, is moving on. He's felt that it's the right time. It's a sensible decision. It's prayerfully made. But it's a big change. And it brings up uncertainty for us in the church. Questions about what the future will look like. And it's uncomfortable. And maybe there's a period of mourning and insecurity. And alongside all of that, we have this building. It, it's a great gift, but it, it's not an ideal church space. And, and we need to keep working out how we live in it, how we develop it, how we use it to serve our neighbours, what gospel priorities will look like in the practicalities of running it. And it is a really big project. It's daunting in terms of effort and people and money and timescale. And then wider than that, we live in a difficult cultural moment. I think that's always true. But, but it seems really apparent now as cost of living rises and society feels so fractured around us. We, we live in a broken society with patchy safety nets. What does it look like for us, Magdalen Road Church, to live faithfully in this context? There are all sorts of passages we could go to from throughout Scripture to answer that. They will hold in common, though, the central promise of the Bible. That from Genesis onwards, it's been God's consistent intention and his delight to pour out blessings on his people and on the nations. And as he does that, he will call a people to him 
And he will do that through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And we see this beautifully here in Acts chapter 2 as the New Testament church is born. So what's happened in Acts 2 is that the nations of the earth are gathered for the festival. The faithful Jewish believers and converts from all over the Roman world have come to Jerusalem. And while that's been happening, Jesus has sent his spirit on his disciples. And Peter has stood up and told the gathered crowds the story of Jesus, culminating where Elizabeth began reading for us in verse 36. God has made this Jesus, who you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And over the next 10 verses, we see their lovely response. We see the beginning of the church. Now, we have to be a bit cautious. We don't want to blindly transfer everything from this passage to the modern day. It's describing a particular special situation where a huge number of new converts are gathered in one place and will soon disperse back to their home nations. We probably shouldn't take much from this to determine our ecclesiology, how we staff our churches, whether we should be part of a denomination but we can get something of the flavour of this infant church as the Lord's blessings are poured out. And that flavour should be the same for us. So there are four things that I want to pull out of this passage, four characteristics of this early church that I think will help us as we think through the sort of church we might want to be. The first is to see what they're devoted to. So look at verses 41 and 42 with me. Verse 41, those who accepted his message. So that's those who believed the news about Jesus were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. It's a great joy to us that we've got this morning lots of visitors with us. We have our Iranian friends. There may be others visiting today who, who know little about Christianity. If that's you, you're incredibly welcome. Please stay and eat with us afterwards. Get to know us. What we see here in verse 41 is that for the new believers, their first response to the news about Jesus and Christ, about Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, is to be baptized. So what that means is that they are symbolically washed. They probably went down to the river and were submerged. And Jesus commands his disciples to go into the world and to baptize new believers. It represents dying to our old selves, being buried with Christ in the water, and then coming up out of the water, sharing in his resurrection, washed clean before God. For Christians, baptism is about entering into the people of God. It's something you do just once at the start of your Christian journey. I should say, if, if you would like to know more about that, please talk to us. Talk to the person who invited you along today. We, we would be delighted to explore it with you. They were baptised as they joined the church. But then, as they went on living in the church, being the church, see what their priorities are. Verse 42, they devoted themselves 
to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I've devoted it, good, it's up there. Yeah. That, that's describing their central ministries, their four main purposes. They're a church which values the teaching of the word about Jesus. And if Peter's sermon in the first chunks of Acts 2 is anything to go by, that, that means that they're looking at the whole sweep of Scripture to see Christ more clearly. They're a church which, right from the start, devote themselves to fellowship with each other. And we see them in this passage holding everything in common, meeting with each other day by day, being in each other's homes and lives. It's a sort of situation where even between very different types of people, deep friendship can develop. I suppose, more awkwardly, it's also the sort of situation where you can't hide much. They're living in each other's pockets. So they will be vulnerable to each other. Weakness and sin will be on show. They'll be accountable to each other. They'll know each other well enough to be able to challenge, able to encourage. They're a church which prioritizes the breaking of bread. That is, day by day, week by week, as they meet, they're eating with each other and they're sharing the communion meal. They're breaking bread and sharing wine and teaching each other of the union that they have with Jesus, as well as meeting practical needs, filling stomachs. And they're a church which prioritizes prayer. They're devoted to it. Can we say the same? I, I think there's a little bit of wordplay here. Apparently the word translated fellowship is the same word that elsewhere is translated for the communion meal. So they teach and speak to each other and have fellowship with each other in the same way that they express that fellowship and union with Christ and they speak to the Lord in prayer. It's a picture of devotion and family union with each other that mirrors their union with God. And they're devoted to these things. Second characteristic, um, the awe that they feel as God is at work. See that in verse 43. They marvel at the signs and wonders being performed by God's power in the apostles. So miracles seem to be happening there. But I think there's more going on than just the obvious stuff. They, they seem to be being transformed before our eyes in this passage and in the next few chapters. And I think what's happening comes from verse 38, where Peter promises them, repent and be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then weirdly, the Holy Spirit is not really mentioned explicitly until chapter 4. But I think the implication is that all of this is God's power at work in them, and it's marvellous. They are filled with awe at what they see happening. And in chapter 4, we're told that God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there was no needy person amongst them. The Spirit at work changes their community. They're being transformed, made into disciples of Jesus, copying him, and as a result, they become deeply attractive. 
So verse 47, every day people are coming to join them. They're filled with awe because God is at work. They're devoted to God's things. They're filled with awe at what he's doing. And then thirdly, they are absolutely committed to each other. Look at verses 44 to 46, and we see something revolutionary. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now we have to say, this is a particular point in history. And we know that the pattern within the early church wasn't to set up a socialist utopia. That, that's not the point. Rather, the early churches seem to fit themselves within the economic systems of the nations that they're in. It, it's not a political or economic movement. And so in the New Testament letters, we still see rich and poor believers, and, and it's not condemned. It's part of the system they're in. But their hope, isn't in the wealth that they've got. And in Acts chapters 2 to 4, we see Christians who live generously and sacrificially give what they've got for the sake of their neighbours as if they've got a higher treasure than money. It's what we've been thinking about over the past few weeks with Dan, isn't it? Knowing the generosity that their God has poured out for them, they're equipped to pour out generosity to each other. And so we get this striking picture of a church community which is entirely committed to the needs of each other. It feeds back into the first point, doesn't it? That they're committed to each other, devoted to genuine fellowship that goes deeper than just having acquaintances. Fellowship that works out in real and practical love to a degree where they see their resources as best used for the common good. Finally, fourth flavour, visibility. I, I, I should apologise to those who prefer alliteration in their sermon points. I wasn't feeling creative. Uh, if you can come up with nicer packaging than that, do uh, put it on a postcard, give it to Dan. I, I think he'd like that quite a lot. Uh, but visibility, it's obvious, isn't it? They're living in a way that makes them stick out like a sore thumb. Now, they're going to find in the coming chapters of Acts that they can't hide the things about them that are offensive. And it will bring persecution and hatred, just as Jesus warned. But here, beautifully, we can see that their difference, the, the awesome work that God is doing in them, makes them deeply attractive. And so they are meeting day by day in the temple courtyards. That is... They're in the place where the Gentile world was meant to be able to come and see God's covenant people living with him. See what that relationship looked like. They're meeting there each day and enjoying the favor of those who see them. And day by day, more come to join them. The Lord is gathering his people in. His central Bible purpose is being met. He's calling the nations to him and pouring out blessings. And there will be a time soon when they have to meet in secret, Yet just as many of our brothers and sisters do now around the world. 
But even then, God's purposes aren't defeated. Even as a few chapters after this, they are persecuted and driven out of Jerusalem, they take the gospel with them. And God goes on making them attractive to those who see them. Uh, And churches grow. He draws people in. He goes on pouring out his blessings, even down to many who are far off. That's us. Thousands of miles distant. Thousands of years later. Four things I, I want you to see here. Devotion or commitment visibility, hints of the character and flavour of God's church. What about us? Maudlin Road, what, what sort of church do we want to be as we go on in uncertain times? And how does that feel? What will it look like for us as we hope to continue being faithful in this context that God has put us in? What's our vision? What's our desire? There's so much that we want to do as a church, isn't there? There's so many good ways that we can love each other and serve our communities. But if a visitor described us, what is it that you'd want them to see that we're devoted to? Will verse 42 be true of us? I I hope for us to be a church that stands out for being devoted to biblical teaching to mining down deep into the treasures of God's word and dwelling on it and feeding on it and helping and encouraging each other to dwell on it in our conversation and in the examples we set and the resources we share. It's a great treasure. I want our church to be one where we prioritize and model and teach faithful prayer. That's hard sometimes, isn't it? But don't you long to be a church where we are persistent and determined and constantly in prayer? Where my reluctant heart is taught that first Tuesday prayer meeting isn't a drudge, it's a joy. Giving up an evening? Yes, I want to pray. I, I love the fact that it's not uncommon after a service to see people praying for each other. Let's grow in that. And with those things, let's hope to be a church which is devoted to fellowship. Working out with each other the fellowship that we've got with God. So do we see and teach and model that fellowship that we have vertically with Jesus as we share communion or break bread or share family meals? Do we constantly teach and remind each other of what he has won for us? And then do we express horizontally that union with each other so that our church becomes an expression of family closeness between people who are very different? Not just a set of acquaintances, but will we commit to sharing our lives with each other in a way that makes us vulnerable? It's risky, isn't it? Not not walling off the parts of our lives that we want to keep hid, but, but open to being known, open to being challenged. Because that's the point. That's, that's the intimacy that Jesus has won for us. We're called to be his people, his family and brothers and sisters and children. 
What would that look like for you? Would it show up in the way that you commit to a home group or a Bible study? To being there and being known in that smaller setting, to knowing and loving others in a context where our weakness is on show. Or if you're socially awkward like me, would it look like being more ready to engage in conversations after church, to, to push beyond the social pleasantries into the deep conversations and then to prayer? What would it look like for us to be a church that's devoted to fellowship with each other? I hope those four will be the priorities that shape our search for our next pastor. We're not looking primarily for someone to run the OS project or to manage all the church teams or to be an administrator or even an evangelist. Those are great. If we get it, fab. But primarily, we want to look for a man of godly character, an able Bible teacher, determined in prayer, who can lead and teach and equip us to be devoted to fellowship. More than my church... What do you want to be devoted to? Let's keep our eyes on that. What about awe? Let's be honest. Few people are going to look at anything I do as an elder and marvel. But I've got this huge encouragement for you. The Lord is at work in you powerfully. We get to marvel as elders in our pastoral meetings as we discuss and pray, and we ought to marvel more. We get to give thanks for the ways that Christ has blessed his church here. It's a huge encouragement to see gifts turn to service and to see people growing in Christ-like character. Brothers and sisters, the Spirit of God is at work in you. I rejoice at my home group. And the godly character and growth I see there, the expression of fellowship. Don't tell them, they'll get big heads, but, but it is lovely. And brothers and sisters, I rejoice at what I see of the Spirit at work in you. We don't usually see it in ourselves, do we? But if you're a disciple of Jesus, his Spirit is changing you. And others will start to notice. He has been at work in you, and he will continue to be at work in you. Let's be a church that knows that and responds in awe. We often use the words love, reach, build, send to help us to frame and organize the various different things that we do as a church. But the way that works is that the reaching and the building and the sending all grows out of the love and we can only really love others around us because we know the miracle in Acts 2. The miracle they begin to see as Peter talks to them. It upended their lives. God has made this Jesus both Lord and Messiah. In Christ, God has loved us. And in his spirit, he works in his people. So let's be a church community who are awed by that. Who are moved to worship. 
Let's be a people who pray for and ask God to keep working in us by his spirit, who look for it and recognize it and name it and give him thanks. Friends, look for the grace of God at work in the people around you and the fruit it's bearing. And praise him. What an antidote to uncertain times and fear. Are you anxious about changing church leadership and how that will play out? Are you ambivalent about a big building project? Are you fearful of the opposition that we might face and the reactions of our neighbours? Fair enough. But brothers and sisters, the Lord your God is at work in his people and he will not come up short. It is awesome. Another encouragement as we talk about commitment. Now forgive me if I get soppy, but I I love how much sacrificial service there is here. I, I love and rejoice at how people throw themselves into Worship teams and PA desk and set up and set down and being on duty to help welcome people at the door and preparing church lunch yes, and leading junior church or youth group or home groups or women's Bible studies or courses for new believers or cleaning and fixing things or food rotors for those who are struggling. And I'll stop, but only because I'm running out of breath. I, I love the way that the financial needs of this church have been met by consistent, generous giving year on year. And yes, I I love the way that when we've needed to raise funds for big things, like parts of this building project, the church has responded. But even more, I loved the way that last year, as we realised that we needed to to increase our, our hardship fund, the speed and the generosity of the response was beautiful. You wanted to love those amongst us who are most needy. And all of that speaks to me of something of this act too, commitment to each other. And it's a delight for your elders to see. There's a commitment that expresses itself not just in giving money, but in effort and time and energy and care. And there'll be challenges here for us, individually and collectively. And perhaps that is something as well that we can explore in home groups this week. Through January, Dan's been getting us thinking about how we steward our resources. In our home group this week, I was particularly struck by the way that God calls us to fullness of life, to real life. And what that looks like is that he gives us chances to give generously from the resources he's blessed us with. Again, we get to love because we have first been loved ourselves. So, Magdalen Road Church, let's make it our vision to be a family like this one in Acts chapter 2 that holds up the needy amongst us and delights in generosity. And then finally, visibility. Look again at verses 46 to 47. They continued to meet together in the temple courts, They enjoyed the favour of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. That's our hope and our desire, isn't it, that last bit? What do I want most for my non-believing family or for my neighbours or my colleagues 
or the people who use our building. Their greatest need is that the Lord would add them to his people. And the greatest gift that we have is the news of that. We don't get to do it quite like they did in Acts 2. That was a special time and place. They gathered in the temple courts with Jews from all over the world, visiting for a festival. Everyone focused on where they were. These are not the temple courts. But we have an opportunity to live in a way which is visible where we put the gospel on show and where, as we're commanded in 1 Peter, we always have prepared a reason for the hope that we live with. That gospel hope that makes people ask questions. I want us to be a church that encourages and equips and teaches each other in that, that loves the thought of evangelism so that we become bold in living with the gospel living with it on show to our family and friends and colleagues. We get to do that individually. We've also got a chance to do it collectively. And it seems to me this site gives us great opportunities. Perhaps many of them are long-term. As we were talking yesterday, some of us, saying that there's a pain to planting now seeds that will be harvested much, much later. It's great to have Adam and Karina with us to to help us think about that later today. Maybe those conversations will inspire us to think through how we do this well. How can we use this resource that we've been given generously so that the love that we've been shown is made visible and poured out for others? How can we do that without taking energy away from things that we're devoted to? You know, in a recent survey, nearly 50% of the population said that they didn't even know a Christian. How can we make sure that we don't live siloed away in safe Christian bunkers, but take the opportunities to mix in and be seen? Could you take opportunities to not just serve in church, but actually just go along to and be part of toddler groups, the Comfort Trust stuff on Tuesdays and Saturdays, or, or film clubs, or art sorts who use the room up there, or, or dance devotion, or the drama stuff that's happening, or, or, or the music groups. People who are in here, in our space, week on week. Could those give us the chances to get to know people? In a context where we've got that easy invite, come to a carol service, come to a Sunday morning in a building you already know. Of course, it doesn't have to be here. Maybe it's elsewhere. Maybe it's the sports clubs or the board game meetups or a pint with the dads from school. Are we rubbing shoulders with those who don't know Jesus in a way that lets them see the work that he's done in us? It's hard, isn't it? I find the busyness of life, particularly in this season, particularly with two small children, squeezes those things out. But isn't it our deep desire to see the Lord adding to our numbers daily? How how can we as a church live in a way that is visible? And I realise I'm asking more questions than I'm giving answers. That's probably not what you're meant to do on a Vision Sunday. It's fine. 
You'll be more creative than me anyway as you think it through. So let me instead finish with an encouragement. Friends, I'm daunted by the year ahead. I I see a lot of work and uncertainty. And I see the responsibility and challenges of interviewing and appointing a new pastor, or, or if we don't, then a season where we're understaffed, perhaps. And the challenges of making sure that the church is well led and pastored and loved. I, I see the weight and worry of, of this building project and the OS project and the investment of time and people and energy. I'm sure many of you share one or other of those concerns. Perhaps it feels like we're going into scary times. How will we go on being this kind of church? But I'm also excited about the year ahead. My God does not give bad things to his children. I know that he is completely ready to give us hard times, to help us grow, and that he uses difficulty to lead us in discipleship. And so I see in the coming year kingdom opportunities for our discipleship and growth, gospel opportunities for the way that we can use our resources, But even more than that, I know the central story of the Bible that Peter speaks some of here in Acts 2. That from the very first things, God has had a consistent purpose to make himself known, to call a people to himself from the nations, to to pour out his blessings. And we see a glimpse of that in Acts chapter 2 as the church is born. And if you read on through to Revelation, we see the fulfillment yet to come. And somewhere in between, now, he's doing that in us, friends. Week on week and year on year, his name is being made known in our communities. So I want to leave you with this encouragement. No matter how uncertain the times are, his blessings do not fail. I'm going to finish by reading you Psalm 67. It's an ancient prayer, but it's also a prayer for us now. And then the musicians will come up and they will lead us as we sing in Psalm 67 as well. Morden Road. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. May that be our prayer, Morden Road Church. And may he be our confidence in the years to come. Amen.